0: Welcome back to Upfront, the podcast with me, Katie Hannon. It's now almost a month since the October 7 attack by Hamas on Israel and the subsequent siege of Gaza by the Israeli Defense Forces. But it's already past time to get us thinking about a potential endgame for the current conflict and whether peace can ever be achieved in the region. So on this week's podcast, we wanted to speak to someone who has been long involved in peace negotiations between Hamas and the Israeli government. Joining us from Jerusalem is Gershon Baskin, the co-founder and former co-director of the Israel-Palestine Centre for Research and Information. I've just been reading your open letter uh, to Ghazi Hamad, the Hamas spokesperson, which is an extraordinary letter for many reasons. And I want to get to that in a moment, but maybe first... As one of the very few people who has had close contact with both the the Israeli authorities and the Palestinian or the Hamas leadership, I should say, over many years, maybe you can try and help us understand in as much as we can, what is the thinking on both sides here? Maybe talk about the Hamas side first. What were they thinking ahead of the October 7 attack?
1: It's it's impossible to understand what they were thinking in light of what they did, um, and I don't believe that there's a disconnect between what they were thinking and what they did, although their initial response was denial, including in recent days, the same person Razi Hamid, who's sitting in Beirut, responded on camera to the BBC, "We don't kill children. We don't kill women." When they clearly did, I mean, they could say that there were many people. Now, I, I heard a figure that 3,000 Palestinians crossed the border on October 7th into Israel. So they could claim perhaps that individuals who are not Hamas, who were people with guns and belonged to other organizations, came and did some of the horrors that they did in Israel. But we have head cameras from Hamas combatants with guns and anti-tank rockets that they shot at homes with families in them. We have videos of someone, one of their people, killing children in front of their parents. Um, the music festival that took place, where they surrounded them with their Toyota vehicles and machine guns and anti tank rockets and RPGs and massacred 300 young people. This was them. There is no excuse that they can say this was someone else. It was Hamas. And I, I can't find a rational ex- answer of why they did it, nor they have offered one, other than the fact that this same Razi Hamad, the, the, the thing that provoked the letter that I wrote to him, said on camera in Arabic that Israel deserves this and we will do many more October 7th.
0: He said in that same interview, I think, he used the, the phrase that they were complications, that they didn't intend for some of... What happened to, to, to happen as it did?
1: Yeah, I imagine that they didn't intend it to go completely out of hand, but it still doesn't explain their ability to deny what they did do, which was under their control. Okay, they didn't have control over everyone across the border. They perhaps didn't have control over Islamic Jihad, who also crossed the border, but they had control of their... These were the nukhba Nuchba uh, unit. nukhba means elite. This was the elite Hamas fighting unit of Al-Qassam, their their military wing, and it was under their control and it was planned. So nothing they can say can say that it wasn't planned. There is no rational human response or logic that one could give to the things that they did. Something happened to them uh, that they, they lost control of their own humanity when they did what they did.
0: But as you say, this was planned. We know it was it was planned. So in the planning, there must have been there must have been a strategizing of what would happen once this initial attack was was over. So uh, maybe is it useful to talk a little about how Hamas regards the idea of martyrdom and blood sacrifice?
1: Yeah, there there are two things that that we have to look at. One, what is this concept of martyrdom and sacrifice? And the other is the issue of the prisoners, the Palestinian prisoners in Israel, because they're they're interconnected. Um, Hamas holds to a philosophy of Islam, which I believe is a distorted philosophy of Islam, in which they believe that life on earth is short and insignificant. What is significant and important is eternal life. And the promise of entering paradise is most promised if you are a martyr. And what are you a martyr for? You're a martyr for Islam, for Allah, for Al-Aqsa, for Palestine, and for revenge. And the fighters in Hamas, particularly this Nukhba, the elite unit, are recruited from bereaved families in Gaza. They go at the end of every round of warfare with Israel and they go to the homes that have been destroyed or families where someone has been killed and they recruit the children and they educate them in their view of Islam. And they tell them that their most important duty in life is to get revenge for what Israel did to them, destroying their home or killing a member of their family. And, uh, and, and they believe that they will enter paradise when they go and kill Israelis being killed is a duty, being killed is the end result. Dying for Allah, for Palestine, for Islam, for Al-Aqsa, for revenge is all part of life's duties. So I have always claimed all these years on Israeli television, in studio, sitting around a table with retired generals who talked about Israel has to create deterrence. I have always claimed you cannot create deterrence against someone who believes that it's their duty in life to die. There's no deterrence for that. You can postpone an attack for a year or two years. They will decide when to attack again. They control the battlefield, and they always have, and they have also determined when there's a ceasefire and when there's not a ceasefire. It's always been in their hands. It's not in Israel's control. Now, the second issue, and this is very important because the person who is directly in charge of everything that's happened since October 7th, and obviously before in the planning, is a man named Yahya Sinwar, Abu Ibrahim and Abu Ibrahim Yahya Senwar is the person who is the link between the military and the political wing of Hamas. He is the political leader of Hamas. He spent 22 years in Israeli prison for killing Palestinians, not for killing Israelis. He killed Palestinians who were suspected of being collaborators. He was known to be extraordinarily cold-hearted and brutal, someone who killed people with his own hands. Uh, And he rose to a position of leadership and he made speeches in Gaza over the years that led us to believe that he could be pragmatic. I have always cautioned and said, I've never met someone in Hamas who I would describe as moderate, except for one person. And that was Razi Hamad, who I use the word moderate with him as well. But I've never met someone in Hamas who is moderate, but I did say there are people in Hamas who are pragmatic who understand that the burden of governance that has been on their shoulders for 17 years requires them to supply food and water and education and welfare and and building and law and order, and etc., etc. And the burden of governance has weighed heavily on some of these people who have made them more pragmatic. And if Israel would respond in a proper way to their pragmatism, we could change the nature of relations between Israel and Gaza, Israel and Hamas.
0: Can I just ask you, because I think the conversation we've just had and if people weren't aware of your background, they might think this is just another Israeli guy giving out about Hamas. But you have been you have been very, very critical of the Israeli role in this over many, many years.
1: I'm I'm a peace activist. I've been working with Palestinians for 45 years I was a civil servant in my early years, the first civil servant in Israel responsible for Jewish relations in the Israeli Ministry of Education. I helped to create a department in the Ministry of Education for Education for Democracy and Coexistence. I led a a research center for 24 years of Israelis and Palestinians working on the two-state solution. I advised two prime ministers, and I also opened and led a direct back channel to Hamas for the release of the Israeli soldier Gilad Shalit who was in Hamas captivity for five years and four months. I've been negotiating and talking to Hamas for 17 years, and all this time I have been critical of the Israeli government's position, saying that Israel cannot control another people for all these years and expect to have peace. For many years, I believe that the solution was a two-state solution. Uh, I'm not sure that it's any longer viable. Uh, what I have said over the past few years is that for me, one state, two states, three states, 10 states, is not the primary question. The primary question is, do we start talking to each other from the principle that everyone living between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea has the same right to the same rights? That's the bottom line principle for me, which is essential. And, and, it, and it encompasses the principle of mutual recognition of our right to be here. We have to begin to look forward and not only look backwards, and and that's what I hope will emerge at the end of this horrific trauma that we're all going through. What,
0: well, in terms of the Israeli side, then, what what do you think that they are discussing an exit strategy at any level there? What, what is the thinking there? Because, again, it's difficult to see where this can possibly go from the outside. Right.
1: I don't think they're beginning to discuss an exit strategy and they have to be. Uh, the incursion into Gaza has already begun, and what we need to avoid is any any chance at all that someone would suggest that Israel should stay in Gaza and reoccupy Gaza. And God forbid, people will come along and say, "Let's re- rebuild the settlements that we evacuated in 2005." I've re- an exit strategy that I've wrote together with some Palestinian and Israeli colleagues. We're trying to fine-tune it. I sent a proposal to members of the Palestinian Authority government indicating what I believe that they need to say right now, because they are helpless in this situation. The Palestinian government in Ramallah has no ability to change events in Gaza, but what happens the day after is crucial, and it's important to understand that the Palestinian Authority cannot ride on the back of Israeli tanks and take over Gaza. That's a non-starter. But what will be needed is what I suggest is that we look at what the Arab League did and the Arab world did in ending the civil war in Lebanon, which was to send a multinational Arab-led force to Lebanon, which should be the same kind of framework to send to Gaza. But there are other parts of the puzzle that need to be coordinated. One is there needs to be an international dedication to Israeli-Palestinian peace, If it's on the basis of the two-state solution, which apparently it is, then all the governments in the world, including the government of Ireland, need to put their money where their mouth is and stop saying two-state solution while only recognizing one of the two states. It's time for Ireland to recognize the state of Palestine. You can make it conditional. Another part of the puzzle is that the Palestinians need to engage in deep political reform to get rid of the corruption, to have democratic elections, which they haven't held since 2006, elect a new government, which will govern the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza. And at that point, the government of Ireland and others could recognize the state of Palestine. And of course, there needs to be Israeli American pressure on Israel to fall into line and accept that they need to end the occupation and allow Palestinians the right of self-determination. That together with a massive amount of international aid uh, directed toward rebuilding Gaza and led by the Palestinians.
0: Okay, a couple of questions on that. Is there any way of knowing or, or sensing, getting a sense of what is the true support for Hamas within Gaza as of now?
1: Look, there were serious polling done over the last 20 years by different polling agencies. The most reputable is Dr. Khalil Shakaki, who runs the Palestinian Research Center that's based in the West Bank. Um, His polling before the war showed that if there were elections, Hamas would get a maximum of 30% of the seats in a Palestinian parliament, a maximum. Of course, in the wake of warfare, they get a lot more support because they have Solidarity behind their struggle against Israel. I think if there, when there will be Palestinian elections, I think that there are conditions for political parties to participate. I think that part, political parties should be required to support the idea of peace with Israel based on ending the occupation. In other words, parties who are dedicated to the destruction of Israel would not be allowed to run in the elections. I think that's legitimate. I think that is legitimate, the Palestinian official position in negotiations with Israel. All the time was that the Palestinian state would be non-militarized. I think it's acceptable to demand that political parties participating in elections agree to the non-militarization of a Palestinian state. Okay, well,
0: then I'll ask the same question about Israel. If there was an election tomorrow in Israel, uh, what would uh, how would the current um, administration under Netanyahu fare, and the the various coalition parties involved in that?
1: Yeah, I think that when the war is over and we have the day of reckoning, um, and, and then elections, we will see the end of the Netanyahu era in government. There are significant calls for Netanyahu to resign now, because he does not have the trust of the people. He does not have the trust of the army. He does not have the trust of his own political party. The voices are sounding loud. He won't resign. He will be forced to resign at the end of the day, and he and his government... And I believe that all the previous governments need to be held accountable for bringing us to where we are today. They are directly responsible. Isn't
0: that though a very powerful, motivating force to keep the show going as is now? Because
1: it certainly is, and there are all those voices that you hear at wartime: is that we don't, we don't do the account taking now. We're at war. We need to be together, and we need to have solidarity and behind the army. But when Significant generals, retired generals, and people from the Israeli Shin Bet and the Mossad say in public that Netanyahu needs to resign because we don't trust him to guide us through this war. This is a war that Israel has to win, and it's not only a war to defeat Hamas, it is a war to repel other enemies of Israel, like Iran and Hezbollah, who might perceive that Israel is weak because of the ease at which Hamas breached the Israeli borders. They need to be repelled to understand that Israel is, in fact, very strong. But we still don't have enough solidarity and unity of support in Israel to first save the hostages. That has to be the number one duty before defeating Hamas. We have a moral responsibility to bring the 240 hostages in Gaza home.
0: We ha- There's been reports, of course, Hamas have said some of those hostages have already been killed in, in the Israeli strikes. Have we any way of of verifying any of this information
1: now? No, there's no way of verifying it. And, And what I caution everyone from all sides is that everything that is said, everything that is shown, and everything that is not said is part of the negotiations on the hostage issue. Everything. So we should take everything with a grain of salt. When they show us a video of three women who are being held hostage, this is aimed at putting pressure on Israeli society to put pressure at the government to release prisoners. It's all part of the psychological warfare that everyone is engaged in in these very sensitive and difficult negotiations. What about
0: Israeli society right now? Are they looking at what's happening in Gaza? And are is there any sort of buildup of a sense of this is too much, this is too far?
1: It's very little. One of the reasons it's very little is because we on Israeli television don't see it. What we see is like a video game. We see bombs hitting buildings and buildings collapsing, but we don't see the horror that the people of Gaza are living through. We don't see the human catastrophes. That's not in our view. And people don't ask because we're so consumed by the pain and trauma that we are suffering. When... Friends of mine in Gaza contacted me. In the the first week of the war, I contacted more than 100 friends and colleagues in Gaza to tell them that I'm concerned, I care about them, I'm worried about them, I'm praying for them. Um, Many people from Gaza are still, whenever they can, communicate with me. And when they ask me, why is Israel doing this to us? Why are they killing us like this? And I tell them, well, don't you know what Hamas did in Israel? And they don't know because they haven't seen the pictures of what Hamas did in Israel they only see what Israel is doing to them so we have two societies who are at war with each other who only see the picture from the prism of their own television screens and we don't know the mutual hurt and suffering that we've been causing each other there is a human catastrophe in Gaza there's no doubt about it but the israelis are not aware of about it and if they are aware they care a lot less than they but, do about the hostages and the death that took place in I Israel. Can I put
0: you, Garshando, that is that really credible? Because we all have phones, you know, all of these images are all a week, they're unavoidable. Even if you tried not to look at them, they are everywhere. So surely Israelis and and Palestinians alike have access to, the, to those to those images.
1: Uh, Israelis are watching Israeli television. They're watching three main uh, television stations in Israel. And if there are 24 hours of uh, television on, it's on all day and all night, uh, 23 and a half hours uh, are showing the Israeli side and the Israeli perspective, and a half an hour shows what's happening in Gaza. And of that half an hour that's being shown of what's happening in Gaza, we see the physical destruction. But we are also hearing all the generals and the army spokesperson telling that Israel told all the people to go south, to leave their homes. So if they bomb a building in Jabalia refugee camp and if that building takes out not one building, but a whole city block, the Israelis see the physical damage and say, wow, we have a powerful air force. But they don't know that 100 or 200 or 300 people were but killed. Again, in ask you, are they not, and, are they and, they and, not seeing sorry. the
0: social media? Are they not seeing it on,
1: on... No, no, they don't. They don't see the social media that you and I see, that people around the world see. I spend a good part of my day, when I do turn on the television, watching Palestinian television also. I'm one of very, very few people in Israel who turn on Palestinian television or watch Al Jazeera to see the other side. Most Israelis don't see it, and quite frankly, they don't want to see it. Just like in in Gaza, they're not seeing the Israeli perspective. They don't know. When I told a young woman who I know in Gaza, they killed babies. Her response was, Hamas doesn't do that. And I said, but they did. As you've said, you've been
0: a peace activist for 45 years. For 17 of those years, one of your main contacts in Hamas has been Ghazi Hamad, uh, the international spokesperson that we will all have seen by now uh, doing various interviews And you have described in the past that how you believed, you glimpsed some humanity in him. You thought he could possibly be the only one that that could be considered a moderate. You said you spoke to him over a thousand times over all those years. And of course, your relationship with him was was crucial in that hostage negotiation that you were at the centre of back in 06. And you kept the back channels open even after October 7th but now you've shut that door.
1: Well, he actually shut the door before because in the last four days he hasn't been communicating with me. Um, we had some very difficult conversations during these past three weeks. Um, I said some very direct things to him. He said direct things to me. We've done that before. We've been open and honest with each other. I don't think we ever lied to each other. It may be at the very beginning when we were testing each other before we developed some kind of basis of trust that enabled the breakthrough that eventually brought Gilad Shalit home and released 1,027 Palestinian prisoners. Um, so he actually stopped communicating with me. But when I saw those press conferences and where he denied what they did, and then he went on and justified what he did, and not only justified what they did, he said, we're going to do it again and again and again. That for me was The straw that broke the camel's back. I just couldn't deal with it anymore. And quite frankly, I was getting phone calls and people from all over the world were contacting me. But mostly people in Israel were contacting me and saying, look at your friend. Look at your... That that was what people were saying to me. Look at your friend. This is my friend. The person who's justifying killing innocent Israelis and promising to do it more. And that was what led me to write that very harsh letter to him, which... I don't know if he read. I don't know if he will read it. He won't answer it.
0: Yeah, just for people who won't have it to hand, you open with, I believe this will be the last time I ever communicate with you. Um, And then you go on to, to talk about, you know, your relationship over the years and basically saying this is too much. Um, you You and your friends are directly responsible for the tragedy that is happening to your people. Is that, you know, given all you've said and written over the years about Israel's role in this and responsibility for creating the circumstances of this, is is that do you can you stand over that line that that you and your friends are directly responsible for what's happening to the Palestinians now?
1: Yes, I, I think so. Um. Israel is a very tough enemy for the Palestinian people. There's no question about it. Um, But what we have seen throughout the history of Israel is when there were opportunities for people on the other side to reach out and touch the hearts and minds of the Israeli people, they made those compromises. It happened with Anwar Sadat's sudden visit to Jerusalem, Where two weeks before Sadat's visit to Jerusalem, 80% plus of Israelis said, we'd rather keep the Sinai Desert, Sharma Shech, is what they called it, than have peace with Egypt. And two weeks after Sadat's visit, it was completely the opposite. 80% of the people were on the streets telling Mr. Begin to make peace with Sadat and the Egyptians. We saw it with the relationship between King Hussein of Jordan and Israel. And and even that's a problematic piece because the Palestinian issue sits between us. But we saw it even when Mr. Abin was alive and that very difficult handshake for him with Yasser Arafat on the White House lawn. When there was agreement on the Palestinian side, on the Arab side, to recognize Israel's right to exist, the Israeli people, not necessarily the government, but the people were ready for big compromises. And we know this from even public opinion research that we've done, deep research in Israel, that when Israelis believe there is a Palestinian partner who's generally interested in peace, the Israeli public has over the years said, we are ready to make those compromises on Jerusalem, on refugees, on the crucial issues. Um, But when there's no belief that the Palestinians want to live with us in peace, then we're very harsh. And, and I think that Hamas has taken the Palestinian cause back 75 years. And what the Palestinians are experiencing again is Nakba, is catastrophe, both in Gaza and, to be quite honest, in the West Bank also, because over the last three weeks, some 110 Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank by Israelis, Israeli soldiers, and Israeli settlers. And not all of those Palestinians endangered the lives of those settlers and soldiers. There is a war taking place in the West Bank, which is led by the most extreme elements of the Israeli government who would be very happy to expel as many Palestinians as possible but it's It's a
0: dark day if even you Garshan Baskin, who has you know kept that door ajar over all those years, even through the most uh, you know appalling atrocities. Are now saying uh, that that there is no are you is that what you're saying the talking there is there is no one to talk no, to now.
1: No, I'm not saying that. No. I'm I'm saying that Hamas can no longer be thought of as a potential partner. Hamas needs to be dismantled. We Israel has the ability to dismantle the ability of Hamas to govern and to rule Gaza. Ham, Israel has the ability to confiscate most of their weapons and and places where those weapons are manufactured. Israel has the ability to kill most of those Hamas leaders and military commanders. You cannot win, you cannot destroy an idea and an ideology by force. The way that you fight an idea and an ideology is by having a better idea and a better ideology. And that better idea and better ideology is a sincere effort to make peace of ending Israeli occupation and control over the Palestinians and enable them to enjoy the freedom that they deserve as every other people in the world. But it has to be based on the mutual understanding that we all have the same right to the same rights. That's where it begins. And Palestinians have to do their own accounting and and homework and come to terms with Israel's existence. And Israel needs to cease its control of the Palestinian people and to remove the idea of Jewish superiority in the state of Israel. Israel must be a state of all of its citizens where 22% of the citizens are Palestinian. So we have a lot of work to do. And what I've been hoping for, I've used this metaphor many times already, and and I think it's relevant in this particular program as well. I call it the Belfast moment. And even though what happened in Belfast was not a moment, it was a process and it took time. But there was a period of time where the people of Northern Ireland said no more and a peace process was created and there is peace. It's not the perfect peace and the conflict hasn't been resolved and no one knows what the future of Northern Ireland will be, either a part of the United Kingdom or a part of the Republic of Ireland. But people are not killing each other anymore in Northern Ireland. And we need our Belfast moment, too, and hopefully... Since this is the biggest trauma that the Jewish people, the Israeli people have had since the Holocaust, and this is the biggest trauma that the Palestinian people have had since 1948 in the Nakba, maybe we will be wise enough to get rid of the people who brought us here. The leadership on both sides have to be held accountable, and new voices from the new generation of Israelis and Palestinians will stand up, my children, will stand up and say no more. We have to look each other in the face and we have to sit down and figure out how we live together, not how we die together.
0: Gershon, I think that's an appropriate an appropriate place to end. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that was Gershon Baskin. Thanks for listening to Upfront, the podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can message us on social media at RTE Upfront or via WhatsApp. Our WhatsApp number is 087 677 1000. And don't forget to tune in to Upfront on Monday evening at 10.35 on RTE One and on the RTE Player. And I'll speak to you then.